Welcome to Hoops with Book and Sheed. Thanks for tuning in. On today's podcast, we start off talking about the Nuggets game six win over the Clippers, sending that one to seven, which I think surprised us all, but we're excited for another game seven. Then we spend a couple minutes talking about the Lakers closing out the series over the Rockets in game five uh, before moving on to a pretty in-depth preview of Celtics Heat, uh, which game one of that will be on Tuesday. Finally, we finish up with some more quick hitters. Uh, And of course, we have a make-believe international team for you this time, the 100 Years War team. So we have France and the UK, uh, which makes for a good team and then just some random banter at the end so uh make sure you stick around all the way to the end of the episode thanks for joining us enjoy the pod all right it's sunday evening we're back honestly if we weren't as hard working of podcasters as we are we probably would be grabbing some dinner in between the afternoon nfl games checking on our fantasy scores you know getting ready for the Sunday night game. But instead, here we are, ready to talk about more playoff basketball. Just giving the people what they want, Book. Just giving the people what they want. Lots of free content. Okay, so uh, great weekend for basketball. I mean, we did the emergency pod on Friday evening where we talked about the Celtics' thrilling Game 7 victory over the Raptors. Um, and then since we had the Lakers close out the Rockets in game five, uh, and then we had the Nuggets with a, well, I guess we had Nuggets game, Nuggets win game five and game six. Um, and so we're going to start off talking about that Nuggets series. So game five, it was another one of those games where the Clippers had a lead early, gave it up. Nuggets came back and won a close one. And then game six, I think it was even more drastic where the Clippers went into the third quarter with a 16 point lead. And I think the Nuggets outscored the Clippers something like 65 to 35 in the second half and won a 15 point game. So game seven, here we come another one. Yeah. uh, You know, it's good. We didn't talk about game five. I think the other day because game five and six relatively similar games uh there's something about the clippers where they just like there's just no like and i know early on in the series i would say that they were preparing and that's maybe the wrong way of describing what's going on now but there's there's no like the it feels like the effort and energy level like isn't can't be sustained and isn't consistent and especially when some of the bench guys come on the floor and we'll talk about this more like things become very just bogged down for the clippers and they've They've been struggling, especially in the second half when the bench is on the floor. And that's concerning, one, because they're going to a game seven now, but two, because like, this is supposed to be the deepest team in the NBA. You know, On paper, it seems like the bench should be really good. There's, you know, Shamit's a good player, and Lou Will and Montrezl Harrell have both won six men of the year. But it's just not – it hasn't been working for them lately. Yeah, before we get into the tactics, I think one thing that I've noticed is – I just don't – I don't know who the Clippers' emotional leader is. If you had asked me that question in the middle of the season, I maybe would have said, like, Montrez Harrell or, I guess, like, Doc from the sideline. But Paul George and Kawhi are quiet guys. And I think when the going gets tough, I don't know who it is in their huddles or on the court that's going to rally the troops and say, all right, guys, we need to get a stop here. I think 
if you look at really good teams, they have that guy. Like the for the Warriors, it was Draymond Green. For you know the Raptors, it's Kyle Lowry. For you know if you look at teams this year, obviously LeBron does it on his teams. Um, and I, I I don't think the Clippers have that, especially when uh, Montrez Harrell isn't playing well and isn't on the floor that much. And then you know I like Patrick Beverly makes a lot of noise, but it's almost like a little Pomeranian that barks a lot. Like you're not actually taking what he says that seriously. Um, so that's the biggest thing I've noticed is I don't, I don't know who the Clippers emotional leader is. Yeah. It's interesting. I think from my perspective, like it's like you said, like, like the, like Lou Will's the, like the, the most vet on the team. Like this is a relatively old team, but like it's a bunch of guys who are kind of the same age. And like you said, none of them who are like true alphas from like a personality perspective, like, which is why I think it's, it's an interesting fit with, uh, you know, Paul George and, and Kawhi because, you know, they're both used to having, like, deferring to other people for the emotional perspective. Like, Paul George, uh, you know, in his younger years in Indiana, like, he was the best player, but, like, they had, you know, David West, who was, like, the leader. And, that, like, now they have, you know, when he was in OKC, obviously Westbrook was the leader. And for Kawhi, like, the Spurs are a different animal, but like there was always Manu and Duncan and Tony Parker, right? And then in Toronto, like the emotional leader was Lowry. So I think it's like a little bit of a weird fit from that perspective. But also, I think like on the basketball side of things, like it's it's obviously great to have two wings like those two guys, but like the lack of a true like creator in terms of like passing the ball offensively. Mm-hmm. I think is is starting to hurt them some, right? Yeah, because I. Like... I was gonna say I agree. I think one thing I noticed today is they have a lot of ball stoppers on their team. Like Kawhi is obviously good at creating out of the pick and roll, but he's not someone who's gonna like swing the ball and keep it moving. And uh, often you don't see a lot of that out of Paul George. And then you run down the rest of their lineup and think, okay, are these guys gonna like? catch the ball, make a quick pass or catch the ball, get in the lane, facilitate as the LeBron James, you know, types of the world do, or even guys like Rondo who just are good at moving the ball. And they don't have those guys out there. Like Marcus Morris is a black hole. Trez is not a good passer. Lou Williams is a decent passer, but he certainly likes to get his shots up. And so I think that they, they, when they're not like pushing the ball or running a lot of Kawhi pick and rolls, the ball movement isn't great. Yeah. Cause like, the point guard, like, right, like, the point guard, too, like, Pat Bev is, like, he's a point guard, but, like, he's not playing point guard for them, really. And then, you know, I mean, like, Lou Will is the one guy who's, like, you would say is a really good pass, like, is a pretty good passer. But, again, he's, like, your scorer off the bench. So, like, that's not going to fit in terms of, you know, what they're trying to, you know, how their style is. So, like you said, like, when they're on, it's really impressive because it's, like, a ton of shot making and, like, almost, like, impossible to stop Kawhi and Paul George when they're hot. But again, it's like, it's still just a ton of ISO ball. Yeah. I don't want to talk about the Clippers too much because I think we owe the Nuggets a lot of credit and I want to spend a few minutes gushing on Jokic. But before we flip over to the Nuggets, the other thing I feel like we do need to talk about is Montrez Harrell. Yeah. Uh, he's just been really bad. And look, I, part of this is he was, he was gone from the bubble for, you know, a month. We talked about that before. And like, he was out of shape and he's starting to play his way into shape. But like, this is also a very bad matchup for him, right? Like he has no chance against Jokic. And like, it's not like not... he's going to, it's, 
if, if the Clippers win, he's not going to have any better of a chance against Anthony Davis. So the conversation's not going to stop here. And then, yeah, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Like, if it's the about, Heat, like, it'll be the same against Bam, I think. But, anyways, continue. Yeah, like, I, but it's just like, I, I don't know. Like, I understand. We talked about in the first round, like, how Doc was trying to find a rhythm for him. But, like, at this point, like, there has been no rhythm. And it's weird to say this because he was six man of the year, but I don't think he can play in game seven. Like, I just don't think he can. Like, just play Jamichael Green at center. Like, I understand that he can't guard Jokic either, but like, he's going to provide a better option for them. What, offensively versus what Harold's been doing out there, which has been a disaster. Like, and like, you know, you have to treat the bubble like a different season from what we saw during the regular season. Like, yes, Harold had a great season. He's going to get paid probably all those. They're not helping him. But like, he just like, he's been so bad. He was a minus 19 in this game. And Doc keeps putting him in. And I mean, I, I get it. Like, he's part of your bread and butter off the bench. But like, Playoffs are times to make adjustments, and just because he was a good regular season player doesn't mean he should be in the game in the postseason. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's another another indication that playoff basketball is quite different than regular season basketball, a la Giannis. And I think the guys that rely on strictly athleticism and energy versus skill just don't do as well in the postseason. Uh, and obviously there are all the caveats with Trez and, you know, coming back out of shape, et cetera. But at a certain point you're like, okay, maybe this dude just isn't going to cut it for playoff basketball, but let's, let's flip over the nuggets. Um, Jokic had a masterful game six. He had 34 points on four for six from three, 14 rebounds, seven assists. And especially down the stretch, he was absolutely dominant in the pick and pop. I mean, he was hitting threes over guys' faces, catching the ball, pumping, getting into the lane, hitting floaters. He hit one of those preposterous, like, runners where he shoots it off his wrong foot. I mean, Jokic has been incredible. And I think, like, in this series has shown himself to be one of the top five, maybe top three offensive players in the NBA. I mean, he's been ridiculously good. Yeah, I mean, he's just been amazing. And I think he's really put in good effort defensively as well. And, like, this whole thing of him not being able to stay on the floor in the postseason obviously is not true, Um, partially because he's putting in better effort defensively, partially because (laughs) no matter how big of a negative he is defensively, he's more of a positive offensively. Um, And he's just been dominating his matchup. And, like, look, this is a great team for him to dominate against because – you know, as bad as the Gobert matchup is for him, and Gobert really kept him in check for most of that series. Like, you know, Zubats is fine, but, like, he's not, like, really a huge shot blocker, and he's, like, young and doesn't really know what he's doing. And then Harrell, obviously, is, like, a six-foot-seven center. So it's just it's just yeah. easy for I think the, for the other thing that's helped Jokic, and this goes back to something we talked about, I think, at the beginning of this series, is having, I think, Gary Harris out there more and Michael Porter Jr., quite frankly, on offense – gives him more space to operate. So in this game, there were only 20 Jeremy Grant minutes and Grant does a great job defensively. And if you look at his shooting percentages, I think they're, they're probably similar to Gary Harris, but he gets very little respect out to the three point line. And Gary Harris is a guy who has some gravity. And I think, you know, you were the one who said it, but that has made a difference. And that spacing, I think just opens up a lot for, for Jokic. And then, the other thing is both of those guys that I mentioned, but especially Gary Harris are great cutters. Um, I would love to see the on-off stats for Jokic's assists, whether or not Gary Harris is on the court, because I feel like you're good for at least one or two 
Harris backdoor or just in the lane cuts uh, assisted by Jokic when, when those two guys are sharing the floor. Yeah. I mean, that's right. And I think, you know, it's just, it, obviously it's helped a ton. I think Will Barton would have helped some too. And he hasn't been around. So I think like the early struggles of the, of the nuggets in, in the bubble, I think, you know, a big factor of that was just who they had available in the rotation and who got to play. And, you know, I'm happy for them that they, you know, survived to a game six and then got Gary Harris back. And, you know, it's just, they've looked so much better since then, even in their, even in their losses early in this series, they were, they were in most of the games. So, yeah, you know, it's been impressive. One last thing on this series. I am just sitting here smiling to myself at uh, the Michael Porter Jr. experience has just absolutely ridiculous comments uh, after game four about Jokic and Murray basically needing to pass more game five goes the entire game without a bucket. And then with like two minutes left, the Clippers are, or the Nuggets are up to, he hits a preposterous three pointer with a hand in the face um which you love to see and then he played really well i thought in game six like i think his defense is actually getting better especially when he's covering fours but game six he had 13 points on four for seven from the field three for six from three some of those threes were timely threes he had seven rebounds and a block so uh i i had a i put out a tweet on the account about this but uh his plus minus is like 10 this was in the first half is like I think plus 12 in this series and the nuggets are minus 25. So I uh, continue to stand for Michael Porter jr. And uh, blame all of his uh, troubles on Mike Malone, not playing him more this year. Yeah. I mean, not sure that's the total answer, but <laughs> he's, he has a rational confidence, which is both a good, which is both a good and a bad thing. Uh, Irrational confidence is getting a lot of love lately. I think the announcers were talking about it today. They're like, yeah, he's an irrational confidence guy, which is like good. They're using it in reference to Reggie Jackson. I was like, I don't know if Reggie Jackson's irrational confidence is a good thing, but uh, yeah, yeah, he he falls into that category for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it can be a good thing and a bad thing. Like you said, I think it's helped him because I think he wants to play so bad and be a factor. He's very clearly a very competitive player. So he wants to stay on the floor. So he's been, I think his defensive energy has been a lot better. You know, yeah. even though he still is, he still has no idea what he's doing. Uh, I think uh, it's it's been better for him. Yeah. One last actually interesting tactical note I wanted to talk about because I think it gets to what are we going to see in Game Seven? Is you saw the Clippers try to switch Kawhi over to Jokic late, and I think the issue with that was they didn't have Beverly on the floor when they were doing that. And so then you had Murray being covered by Paul George, which like, great, that's a good matchup. But then Lou Williams was covering, I believe, Torrey Craig. And so they're just running, you know, screen and rolls with uh, Lou Williams getting dragged into the action while Kawhi is off in the corner having to respect Jokic. Um, and so I'd be interested to see what they do down the stretch, whether they keep Kawhi on Murray and try to just figure out the Jokic pick and roll, or if they put Kawhi over on Jokic again and, and maybe bring in Beverly for that defense. So that's one thing I'll be watching for in game seven is um, if that, if Jokic is hitting those threes and if Zubac can't contain him and Harold can't contain him and they don't have to Michael Green out there, how do they cover that? And how do the Nuggets respond? Yeah. And to me, I think, look, I think Doc, ha- it seems like Beverly has to be on the floor. It has to be on the floor with Kawhi and PG 
and Marcus Morris, I would guess. And I think the interesting question to me is like, who's the fifth guy on the floor? Because you can yeah. really, at that point, you could really go anyway for just a few possessions, right? Like you go like Landry Sham. It's like whoever you trust defense, like a combination of defensively and offensively. You go like Landry Sham is a shooter, and like he's okay defensively. He's just a little like he's a little undersized, but he's not a disaster. Like we will. You could go Zubats. You could go to Michael Green. You could conceivably go Harrell if you really want to, I guess. Um, but there's a lot of options. There's a lot of options. Um, and you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. My prediction for game seven would be that the Clippers win by 10 or 15. And I think Kawhi is going to have a monster game, like high thirties points, tons of rebounds, dominant defensively. Yeah. I think, I think Doc will ride his guys more too. I mean, I, I wouldn't like, it wouldn't surprise me to see like, Kawhi playing you know, 42 minutes, Paul George playing 44 minutes or whatever. And, and like they get up, you know, 10, 12, a half, and the Nuggets try to come back, but just don't get all the way back and they lose by eight or whatever, I guess. Yeah, seems right. All right. Well, nonetheless, it'll be a exciting game seven. I, I will never complain about more game sevens. Uh, so, all right, let's uh, move on to Lakers Rockets. Um, I don't really have a whole lot to say here. I feel like after game two slash three, the series ended up playing out how we thought it might. Westbrook wasn't himself. Uh, the Lakers went small and, you know, got a lot from their bench and just kind of handled the Rockets. It was announced today that Mike D'Antoni is not coming back. Um, so obviously there'll be a lot to talk about with the Rockets offseason preview, but I don't have – anything particularly fun or insightful to say about this series? Yeah. I mean, I thought the Lakers really locked in defensively here. Did a good job of like when Westbrook's on the floor and spacing out, he just using his guys, the sole helper at the rim um, and just staying correct, connected on the perimeter to the other three shooters on the floor. Um, Yeah. I mean, yeah. And the, 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 you know, the other thing with the Rockets is that when they're, not at a hundred or ten percent effort level. I just think the defense can't sustain itself. They played really good defense for most of this playoffs, but I felt like they were a little defeated out there. And so, you know, as a team that's super small and super switchy and is really reliant on just pure effort from the guys as opposed to any sort of like athleticism, size, et cetera, that most teams have, uh as soon as the effort level drops below a hundred percent, like it just felt like that they were done and the Lakers were getting whatever they wanted to. And again, and this was like an unsustainable shooting performance for the Lakers as well. Um, yeah, so, I agree there that when you don't have any rim protection, if your effort level drops, like there's going to be guys getting to the rim and then that's just not going to work. Um, last thing I would say about this series for me is I was a little disappointed that it didn't end up being more competitive, both like on a series level and on a game by game level, because after watching that thunder rocket series, I thought whoever ended up playing the Lakers would be able to give them a little bit more of a challenge, but such is life. Lakers are now hanging out until we have resolution in the other series. Yeah. And I think part of that is it's an interesting contrast between the Lakers and bucks, right? Where I felt like both teams had their struggles in the seating games in the bubble and the Lakers are sort of, figured out a way to find another gear and the bucks never really could. So that was the only other thing I would say there. Yeah. Um, so we'll do a, a rockets off season preview on a later pod, but should we get to the main event of this podcast Celtics heat preview? Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty excited for this series. Um, 
two great coaches, you know, pretty similar in terms of the great coaches that you saw in Celtics. Raptors, obviously, but um, a lot of interesting things that should, you know, happen here. So I guess, do you want to start with the Celtics or the Heat? Yeah, let's um, let's start with the Celtics, uh, just because they are perhaps a little fresher in everyone's minds. Um, so I think the first big question for them is, when are we going to see Gordon Hayward? Yeah, um, Steven said post game that he's confident that he'll play at some point in the series, but he's not sure when. Uh, Steven's always pretty coy about these things. So you never know um, what's going to happen. And uh, he is expecting a baby um, at some point soon. So we'll see, you know, when he has to leave the bubble, et cetera. But uh, if I had to guess, like in my is it mind... A, is I, it a confirmation that he's going to... I mean, this is like his fourth kid, right? Yeah, I, 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 there's been no confirmation that he's definitely going to leave. Uh, he went home for part of his rehab before. Like he came back. He just got out of quarantine for game seven. So I think he went home for like a week. So I don't know if that was him going home. So he's not going home for the childbirth or whatever, but um, he should do whatever him is right for him and his family. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> just want to put that out there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'd be mildly surprised if we saw him in game one. He just, he did some shooting on the court and warmups to game seven, but it didn't seem like he was moving super well. Uh but, you know, it wouldn't shock me. So I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah. So I guess uh, the next question depends a little bit on when Stevens does – or sorry, when uh, when Hayward does come back. But the next the, – the, the question I think with the Celtics rotation is, uh, you know, outside of Wanamaker, who are going to be their seventh and eighth guys coming off the bench? Yeah. Uh, Wanamaker is definitely going to play because he's like the steadiest option they have at any sort of guard spot and he's fine. I, you know, I think his minutes will vary a lot. Like, you know, they did in the Raptor series, depending on how he's playing, but he will get, you know, eight or 10 minutes regardless. Uh, you know, the big guy question is interesting, right? There's, there's Grant Williams, Robert Williams and Cantor. Uh, Robert Williams, you know, I could see him maybe getting the BAM assignment a little bit. Um, he provides a lob threat. Uh, it's probably a less effective option against Bam on offense as a lob threat than he was against, you know, Gasol and Ibaka just because Bam is super athletic as well. Right. But he could, he could be a def- decent defender there, uh, protecting the rim. Um, I think he would need to match Bam's minutes because I think Olenek would provide a lot of the same issues with that, uh, you know, Ibaka provided him and, and why they went, they went away from him in Ibaka minutes as much as they could. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, I you know it could be him. Uh, Grant Williams, probably more of a matchup for uh, Olenek than for Bam, just because I think Bam's so big and physical that you know even though Grant's strong, he can just finish over him. Yeah. But he definitely could play. He obviously played very good defense on the stretch in Game Seven, and then mm-hmm. Cantor. Uh, you know, you could see some Cantor. Uh, I it, would be surprised if we saw it, Cantor. It provides. A lot. The matchup provides a lot of the same problems that the that the Raptors do in terms of how they use their big guys and chasing screens and pick and rolls and all that. So I would be surprised as well. But they do go zone some uh, at times against the Celtics. So you know he can Not- be a zone notorious rusher. zone killer, Enos Cantor. 
He does get a lot of offensive rebounds in his own. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So yeah, it, wouldn't be shock- it wouldn't be shocking to me um, yeah. if he played a little bit. And then, my thought, go ahead. My thoughts here is going to be I actually wouldn't be surprised to see a fair amount of Grant Williams minutes, uh, partly because if you watch the Heat's rotations, sometimes they're actually playing like no big, really. Like it's Iggy, Crowder, et cetera, uh, like Jimmy Butler all three of those guys together. And so I wouldn't be shocked if they went with Grant Williams in those minutes, especially because I think he's kind of thick and quick, thick and quick. That, that should be a name of something yeah. um, uh, enough to stay in front of like the Jimmy Butler, Iggy types. Um, and he just gives you a little bit more shooting than Robert Williams does, obviously. Uh, but I love me some time Lord. So wouldn't hate to see him uh, get some minutes when Bam is on the floor. Although I think Bam will kind of have his way with that matchup. Cause he's about as athletic, but a, a headier player at this point in his career. So let's move on to uh, talking about the Celtics wing rotation. Who do you think will get the minutes after Wanamaker? There is no hair. I think probably Ojale will. I mean, he's a bigger body. It's probably less necessary in this series because there's less needing to like body up someone like Siakam size. But he can guard Jay Crowder or Iggy or whoever. Um, and he can shoot it okay. So I, I think it'll likely be Ojale um, if Hayward's not available. The other option here is Romeo Langford, um, who hasn't played very much, um, is, is a little smaller, probably a better finisher um, offensively but less of a, you know, less of a than Ojale was or is. And so, um, you know, I think the shooting is probably more important than the slashing ability of Langford. And even, and Ojale has more size versus Langford has more quickness defensively, but I think that's probably pretty much a wash. So I think, I think Stevens trusts, you know, a veteran, not, you know, it's Ojale's third year in the league more than a, a rookie, so I think it'll likely be Ojale if there's no Hayward. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, so let's talk about how we think the Celtics are going to match up with the Heat defensively. My initial guess at it would be that you put Tatum on Crowder, you have Jalen Brown, who did a great job on Siakam, on Jimmy Butler, you put Smart on Dragic to kind of deal with a lot of those pick and rolls. And then you have Kemba chasing, you know, the shooters, whether it's Hero or Duncan Robinson out there. And then obviously Tice on Bam. Um, anything that you would expect to be different there or any, like, nuances to look for? Um, I think they'll be decently happy to switch some stuff. Uh, like, I think they'll have, be happy having Kemba on the shooters. Or if he gets switched into Dragic, that's not too big of a deal. Um, and I think, like, they'd be pretty happy to switch – uh, Tatum and Tatum, Smart and, and Brown across the board. Um, you know, maybe they maybe don't want Brown on Dragic just because he's less of a depth pick and roll defender than mm-hmm. um, the other guys are. But I think I think what you said is is likely going to be right. Um, other thing to note here is just what they do with Bam. It's definitely going to be Tice, but um, he's given them a lot of trouble in the past, and they have. At times when they had Hayward gone with the small lineup and tried to guard Bam uh, with Jalen Brown, um, which has gone okay at times, but they, they really struggle to rebound. Um, yeah. So that's that's the other thing to look out for uh, here defensively. Yeah, the other one thing, I like one interesting thing could be 
if it is Kemba covering Duncan Robinson, I, I think he's so tall and he gets up so high when he shoots that Duncan Robinson could get a lot of, a lot of good looks if it's Kemba chasing him around the screens just because he has like nine inches on him. Um, and as much of a Duncan Robinson podcast as we are, I think he's probably not going to be the guy to like carry the series for the heat, but that's one potential issue there could be. But at the same time, like if Dragic has Kemba on him, like he'll probably try to really get into his body and sort of abuse him in the, the high post or even, you know, getting down in the lane. So yeah, Kemba's a bit of a defensive liability, unfortunately, just given his size. So stashing him on one of the shooters, probably the, the least damaging place to do so. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Probably a good place to put him. Um, and then what, what do you think about the offensive end for the Celtics? Yeah, I think, the, I think the Heat provide more challenges for Celtics defensively, but the Heat are um, not as good as a defensive team as the Raptors are, um, obviously, because the Raptors are the best defensive team in the NBA this year. Uh, look, I think early in the season, you know, Nunn was playing a lot, and so he's a decent defender. I think with Dragic now starting, you know, there's a big opportunity for Kemba to just attack, 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 attack. Um, and I think he'll be looking to do that after what was a difficult end of the series where he got so much attention, um, boxing one, and also had really tough defenders guarding him. Um, Dragic is not that. So, you know, I, I think they'll target, they'll target Dragic a lot. Um, you know, I think Jimmy Butler is probably going to guard Tatum. He's a, obviously a good defender for Tatum. Um, yeah. And, T- and Tatum's pretty used to that, though. I mean, he's been playing against Siakam and OG for the last couple of weeks. So, um, right. you know, Jimmy Butler is not too different from that. And then, you know, I think the Heat will – I mean, I, I think the Celtics will, you know, probably have Smart do some ball-handling duties. I mean, he has the – he will probably get the hero Robinson matchup defensively. Um, and I think they'll let him attack some and maybe post up some a, a little bit just because he's just physically stronger than those guys are. Um, and then lastly, I think the Crowder, you know, Jalen matchup, I think – you know, Crowder's a very solid defender, but – Jalen's obviously a better athlete, so it wouldn't surprise me to see him trying to catch on the move and, and attack Crowder at weird angles and get to the rim. Yeah. One thing I'm hoping to see is uh, Marcus Smart and Jimmy Butler matched up against each other. I feel like there's just so much anger and hostility and energy in that matchup. It would be fun to watch them just like both try to physically dominate one another, but obviously neither will give up a single inch. Yeah, and then uh, and the last thing here is, I mean, if Hayward, if or when Hayward plays, you know, in the starting lineup, he's going to be probably guarded by, like, Robinson or Hero. So uh, that's a, that's obviously advantage Hayward on the offensive end of the floor. Yeah, no, that's a good point. If they can get Hayward back, I think uh, his ability to create his own shot against one of those guys could be huge. Um, anything else to say about the Celtics before we talk about the Heat? No, let's let's move on to the Heat. Okay, cool. So do you want to just, before we get into the rotation, give us a, a bit of a rundown on how the Heat have generally matched up against the Celtics this year or, or what we expect might be a little different? Yeah, so, I mean, we talked about this briefly during the, the pod after the Celtics-Raptors Game 7, but the, the Heat um, really struggled with the Celtics during the regular season uh, to um, relatively um, – Celtics won two games relatively handily, won 2-0 during the regular season. But this is a much better Heat team uh, now. Um, 
they stopped playing Myers Leonard, Bamf playing center. They traded for Jay Crowder. They have Iguodala. You know, I think Dragic has probably found another level as well. Um, and they beat the Celtics in the bubble uh, without Jimmy Butler. So, um, one of the few losses the Celtics had in, in you know, seeding play. So, I mm-hmm. think it's, 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 you know, it's pretty different from what the regular season matchup was. Um, and it's a really interesting matchup. Yeah. So, quick, no. quickly. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, quickly on the defensive end, I think we talked about this some, but, you know, I think they'll probably have Dragic on Kemba um, and Robinson or Hero on, on Smart and then Butler on Tatum, Crowder on Jalen, and obviously Bam on Bam on Tice. But um, yeah. they, could, they could try funkier things. I think, again, the issue here is that, you know, they match up so well with the, with the Bucks because they have Crowder and Butler and Bam you know, to guard Middleton and, and Giannis, and they don't need to worry as much about, like, you know, Dragic guarding Bledsoe and, you know, Robinson mm-hmm. or Hero guarding, you know, Wesley Matthews. It's a little bit different in this matchup because they're, they're, they're weapons across the floor for the Celtics. Right. Um, but, you know, again, this is, a, this is a pretty good, not great defensive team, and I think, you know, they'll work hard and they're smart and they'll, they'll try to avoid true disaster situations, which is, like, Tatum being able to ISO, you know, Hero or Robinson or Dragic, you know, I think that's what they'll work really hard to avoid is they'll probably work harder than the Celtics will to not switch just because, you know, it's more strong defenders and weak defenders, um, you know, split up as opposed to Celtics, which is pretty strong across the board. And then Kemba is, I think, you know, not great, but he's a better defender than Dragic is mm-hmm. um, or Robinson or, or Hero is. So, um you know, we'll see what they do with exact matchups. But again, I think as much as they can get Butler and Crowder and Iguodala on the talented playmakers and wings of the Celtics, that's that's what they're going to try to do. Yeah. One thing that we didn't go into is their rotation, which I think will be the starting five that we've talked a lot about. And then Hero, who will probably close games instead of Duncan Robinson, Olenek, and Iguodala, who I'm sure Iguodala, when he's on the floor, will probably get sometime uh with the the jason tatum assignment uh the question beyond that is you know do they go to a ninth guy and if they do is it none or Derek jones jr um i think based on how he played late in that series they might get some none minutes especially because he can kind of create his own shot and, and do a little more for them offensively um the perhaps the exception to that would be if they you know, either want to put Derek Jones Jr. on Tatum a little bit or, you know, put him in sort of as a small ball five and, and place in zone. Yeah, um, I agree. I think none will probably get some of those minutes on Kemba just because I think they'll try to get Dragic, you know, somewhat out of the same rotation pattern that Kemba's in just so that he yeah. can. Because, I mean, Wanamaker's fine defensively, but he's not much better than Kemba is. And, and I think they would prefer for Dragic not to get targeted over and over again defensively. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, Derek Jones Jr. definitely an option, especially if they go zone. They went a lot of two three in the second regular season matchup um, in Celtics and found some success. The Raptors went a lot of zone two in Celtics, so so we'll see if there's some zone here um, from the Heat as well. Yeah, what about on the offensive side of the ball? Um, any anything to look out for there? I mean, uh, one initial thought is uh, that the the Celtics shooting. Uh, or sorry, the, the heat shooting might give the Celtics more of a problem than the Raptors did, who obviously struggled to shoot the ball. 
Yeah, the Celtics have an issue sometimes um, sticking to shooters. Um, they they overhelp a lot. It's actually one of the reasons why this this series um, went seven is because in Game Six in in the overtimes they had a couple of bad helps. Um, Jalen Brown helping off the corner, you know, Kemba helping off the top of the key and giving up open threes, and that is an issue that would be exacerbated here by the Heat's ability to shoot because I mean the Raptors aren't a great shooting team, and the Heat obviously have some of the best shooters uh, in the NBA. So I think. They're going to keep running their actions. The Heat are just going to keep running their actions over and over and over again and look for a slight advantage. And I think, you know, if the Celtics aren't super disciplined in what they're doing, the Heat will get a lot of good looks. Um, and, and that'll be an easy way um, for, for, them, for them to score. Yeah. I think the other thing that could be interesting down the stretch is um, the Heat, how much they try to hunt Kemba. I think – uh, down the stretch of these games, Jimmy Butler does a pretty good job of getting the ball up top. And then the Heat basically screen for whoever the weakest guy um, is on the – or has – whoever the weakest guy is covering. So I think they'll try to pull Kemba into a lot of Butler isos, which does not favor Kemba Walker. Yeah, and then Butler as well will definitely be foul hunting because Tysus gets super foul happy, um, especially in, in important moments of games. And so he'll just try to drive, drive in and draw as many fouls as he can, I think. Um, the last thing here is that Bam's a big matchup problem for the Celtics. I mean, Tice is a good athlete, but but Bam's a better athlete and, and just way more physical. So I, mm-hmm. I expect Bam to get some touches here, operate out of like the mid-post attacking, as well as just trying to dominate the glass. So we'll see what happens exactly. Um, for that stretch, but I expect a big series out of Bam. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the right call. So, all right, uh, we have what will hopefully be a great series in front of us. Uh, I correctly called the last Celtics in seven, not to give myself too big of a pat on the back. Do you have a prediction for Heat Celtics? Sure. I mean, I, I'm going to guess it, if Hayward, like, plays and doesn't leave the bubble i'll say celtics in seven if he plays like five games if hayward plays like you know only a couple games in the series i'll say heat in seven okay interesting um i don't feel excited about the prediction that i'm about to make but i think i am going to go with heat in six um I think their shooting is going to give Boston a lot of trouble on the offensive end. I think Bam and Jimmy Butler are going to get Tice into foul trouble, uh, which is going to just destabilize the Celtics defense a little bit. I do think some of it also hinges on Hayward. Um, But just the other thing is in close games, I still don't quite trust the Celtics as much yet um, as we saw against the Raptors. And I think Jimmy Butler has been fantastic down the stretch and the Heat just have a lot of a shooting and B athleticism, not that the Celtics don't that I think it's, it's going to give the Celtics trouble. And so um, I'm going to go heat and six. Yeah. I mean, that's completely fair. I mean, also I think they're just more well-rested at this point and probably more healthy at this point. Again, I mean, another thing here is we don't know how healthy Jalen Brown's groin is. So yeah, hopefully that's fine. Uh, All right. Well, looking forward to that series. First game is Tuesday, so you'll have plenty of time to listen to this preview before uh, getting into that. Should we uh, close out with our quick hitter segments? Uh, Yeah, let's let's do it. Um, uh, First thing is obviously Matt's stats. So uh, 
this is like kind of me being mean, but like my stat is Montrez Harrell minus 19 today. Like he just can't play right now. He can't play. Like he shouldn't play at all in game seven. And I understand he will because he's like the sixth man. He should not play an important minute in the second half of game seven, Doc. That's all I'm saying. Okay. That's fair. That's a pretty ruthless stat. The other one that I was going to call out uh, just because it's seemingly a little bit preposterous and you wouldn't expect it to continue is uh, the Lakers three point percentage on Saturday. So they shot uh, 51% from three, 19 for 37. So lots of shots and lots of makes. Yeah. Um, and there's obviously some, some, some scrub time there too. I think it was 18 of 30 at one point, which is ridiculous and even more ridiculous when you consider the subpar shooting team the Lakers are. Yeah. Speaking of ridiculous, ridiculous question that I had that's just barely worth considering is um, should guys like, I, I was thinking about this down the stretch of one of these games, should guys never high five or like demonstratively celebrate to save energy? Like that has to take a lot of energy when they like scream and flex and then like high five and all that. Like what if no one just ever celebrated? But like, don't you think it's like mostly like legs are tired more than it is like oh my god i can't breathe like cardio energy when guys are like super tired at the end of games yeah i guess aside from like joel and bead probably yeah the like, guys should not do like you know like karate kicks if they're like <laughs> because like their legs are probably tired but like oh man that's that's one of my favorite celebrations the karate kick I don't know if you're in like foot five or whatever. You shouldn't do that. But I think I think high fives are okay. I, I've decided high fives are okay. It's pretty uh, low. Yeah. It's not that I think, Yeah. I think the the like emotional and mental edge that it gives is probably worth it. Um, yeah. all right. Some some funny non sports related thoughts. Uh, why are the Clippers and Raptors coaches wearing pink shirts? I think they're like supposed to be red and it's like just kind of red mixing with white and that makes pink. That's a little elementary school color knowledge for you. Uh, but they're like kind of red. They're not like, they're not like pink, pink. They're like reddish pink. So I think it's fine. Okay. Um, the other thing I thought was Robert Covington kind of looks like Frozone from the Incredibles. I I don't, I don't know who that is. So I I can't tell you if you're right or wrong, but I appreciate, uh, I appreciate. Have you not seen the Incredibles? No, I've never seen the Incredibles. (laughs) Gosh, that's sad. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Maybe some of our Twitter listeners can validate uh, my comparison there. Um, yeah. Yep. Uh, maybe. I have my main one was just like Taylor Horton Tucker is six foot four with a seven foot one wingspan, and it looks ridiculous. Like his arms are so long. Like I, like it's it like stands out. Like and all NBA players have really long wingspans compared to the height, pretty much. Not everyone, but most players. And his is just so much longer, like than everyone else. Like that, I actually noticed it. When I yeah. like to look up, I noticed I think, it and then looked up what his wingspan was. That's how that's how long his arms were. I think Norman Powell's the other guy who falls into that category. He's like six four with a six eleven wingspan or something, and you can sort yeah. of notice it as well. Uh, the one other thing I was gonna say is like, why did Mark D'Antoni would wear a mask all the time, and then he would literally take off his mask when he was yelling at the refs? It's like, doesn't that defeat the purpose? Yeah, I think like coaches have been encouraged to wear masks on the sidelines. Like, I don't know why. Like, very clearly, like, back in the locker room, they're not wearing masks. Like, it doesn't – like, the bubble is working not because everyone's wearing masks but because, it's, like, it's a secure bubble. Like, yeah. so they're not interacting with anyone outside of it. Um, it's weird. I don't – like, it should be fine to not wear masks because, like, again, I guess they're just trying to encourage people outside of the bubble to wear masks, which is fine. So, yeah. whatever. All right. How about your ninth man or, I guess, our bench player of the day? 
Yeah, Monty Morris. Uh, Monte Morris had a really nice day. 10 points, four assists, no turnovers, plus six. He's just a really steady. I think he's like the most, he's just like a steady backup point guard and like a true backup point guard, um, which I appreciate. Uh, he like was renowned for just having incredible assist to turnover ratios all of his years at Iowa State. And he sort of brought that to the NBA. I think he's not an unbelievable player, but he's just a solid player who can contribute off the bench of a playoff team. And that's valuable. Iowa State has a lot of guys that are like in and around the NBA, but they're all like sort of nobodies. I mean, there's what Monty Morris, Taylor Horton Tucker, George's Niang. Am I missing anyone? Yep. Matt Thomas. Oh, wow. He's Iowa State too. He's Iowa State as well. Yeah. That's hilarious. Uh, maybe, we should do an, maybe we should do an all Iowa State team. Yeah, maybe. They're not, they're not going to be that good. Tyrese Halliburton is going to be a top 10 pick in this draft to Iowa State. Yeah. I wish Derek White had worked out. Not Derek White, name? you mean Royce White. Royce White, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, announcer commentary. So, Kevin Harlan, like, I really like him. I think he's really good. I, I think he's better than Marv Albert. Um, so, I'm glad that he's doing the games instead of Marv Albert. Uh, and glad that Marv is at home staying safe. But he kind of calls the game like a radio guy in that he gives you very explicit play-by-play, like – Monty Moore's at the top of the key. He swings it over to Porter. Porter kicks it down to Jokic. Jokic passes it out to Murray. Murray dribbles in, shoots a layup, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it almost sounds like an American slash basketball version of like a good British soccer play-by-play guy. So I, I noticed that and appreciated it. I like that take. I hadn't really thought about it before, but now that you say that, I agree with that. I mean, I, Kevin Harlan's the best, so I'm yeah. all for pro Kevin Harlan takes. Yeah. And then the other one is I think Reggie Miller might sleep in Paul Millsap pajamas. Like he could not stop gushing about Paul Millsap. Uh, I think it was in game five because he like had a good third quarter. Yeah. I mean, there's only one TNT series left, right? So it's probably going to be Harlan and Miller. I really wish they could just like replace Miller with Stan Van Gundy. I know that's not going to happen. Stan is great. Uh, All right. Better. Our, our international team of the day. So uh, first off, just to give those a refresher who are new to the pod, we do an Olympic, uh, a make-believe international basketball team each pod. Um, the first one that we did was Germany, just because she'd noticed that there's a couple of German guys. And then we got to thinking we, we should make it more creative. I noticed that there were a ton of guys from like former Yugoslav republics. Um, and so we did that team in our, in episode two on August 27th, which is actually the same day that they had the Balkan boys dinner that is now, uh, famous on NBA Twitter, uh, a guy, um, a Clippers beat writer. I, I want to give him the right amount of credit. Um, I think, I think it's Jovan Buha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jovan Buha wrote a great article about it. Um, and then we obviously re- replied to the tweet with, uh, our thing and said, listen to our take about the Yugoslav team and then had some good Twitter banter on it. Um, so we do an international team every week or every pod. It's pretty fun. Uh, we like create some interesting teams. Um, and so this week we have the hundred years war team. Uh, so for those who are not well-versed on their middle ages, world history, um, hundred years war was a series of conflicts in Western Europe from 1337 to 1453 uh, waged between the rulers of the kingdom of England and the house of Valois over the right to rule the kingdom of France. So it's uh, basically a big war between France and the UK or what is now the UK. And so this team is going to be France and England. Who's on the team? Let's ask the question everyone's asking. 
Yeah. So uh, France is really carrying the water here. So the, from the French team, we have Batum, Nicolas Batum, uh, Sekou Dumbaya from the Pistons, Evan Fournier, Gobert. Um, I don't want to mess up the pronunciation. Timothy Luwalu Cabaret. Is that right? DLC? I think it's Carabao. Anyways, okay. Jan, Jan Mahinmi, uh, Joakim Noah, Frankie Smokes from the Knicks. I also don't really know how to say his last name. You want to give me an assist there? I think it's Nilakina. Okay. And then one guy who will be in the league soon who uh, shows up in a lot of mock drafts is Killian Hayes, uh, point guard. So yeah. also including him. And then from England, we have OG Ananobi, a very good addition. And then we're bringing Luau Dang out of retirement. Um, there was some controversy on Twitter uh, with the Yugoslav team around like, oh, this guy, like he could still compete, et cetera. I think the general rule we've been going with is like you have to be a current NBA player, maybe like one or two years removed unless you're Yao Ming. Um, so that's generally like the guardrails. So those are the, the two teams. So our starters, I think, would be uh, Frankie Smokes at the one, Fournier at the two, Batum at the three, OG Ananobi at the four, and Gobert at the five. Any qualms with that starting lineup? It sounds right to me. Uh, you know, I think as soon as possible, hopefully Killian Hayes is entering the starting lineup for that team and replacing Frankie Smokes. But, uh, you know, it's a good starting lineup. It's it's going to get a lot of stops. You'd wish Batum was less washed than he currently is, but it is, it, it's a lot on Fournier's shoulders to score, I would say, until Killian Hayes is like a true creator because – you know, Fournier can score, but Batum's wash can shoot a little bit. OG is, you know, has a budding skill set, but again, is not a great offensive, you know, isolation player right now. Um, and then Gobert's just, you know, a role man dunker. So I think, I think it's gonna be a terrific defensive team. Um, you know, one good thing about this, this, these groups of countries, this group of countries, as opposed to some of the ones we did before, is like there's more. Like I feel like there's more depth and there's more, you know, depth across positions. I feel like yeah. with the Yugoslav team, there's not great, or like the Russian team, there's not great guards, et cetera. So I think, you know, that's definitely a positive for this team. And I think. Bit of know, a microaggression get... for you to call it the Russian team. It's actually the Eastern European former USSR slash USSR satellite team. Sorry. Um, the Soviet bloc team. Yeah. That's, uh, that's better. Uh, so, you know, I think there's, there's more like, there's more like depth across the board here. Um, but I think we need more of off- offensive creation from the point guard spot for this team to really be successful. So I guess yeah. my hopes are, my hopes for this team really, you know, lie on, uh, Killian Hayes' shoulders. Yeah. They would be pretty bad offensively. Like, even if you just look at who's coming off the bench, I guess like TLC was a pretty good shooter, but like, you're not getting anything from Mahin me. Dumbaya is still a couple years away. Lil Dang is washed, and Joakim Noah is the NBA dictionary definition of washed. Um, yeah. Joakim Noah has an interesting background. So French father, uh, Swiss mother, born in the U.S. Uh, sorry, Swedish mother, not Swiss. Yeah. Um, yeah. Grew up in France and the U.S., became a French citizen, and now he represents France internationally. I believe his dad was like a professional tennis player. It's true. I believe his mom is a supermodel. So oh, wow. He also, so, I feel like anytime you hear about like a 
rich person from the US or abroad marrying someone Swedish, it's a supermodel. Yeah, I mean, it's like, wasn't, beautiful people. Wasn't Tiger's wife Swedish and she was like a supermodel? Or she I don't know if she was a nanny? supermodel. I think, I think she was a nanny. But I, look, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Just I'm a not thought. Gonna comment on that. I'm not going to comment on it because I don't know the answer. Smart. Smart. We'll stick, we'll stick to hoops. We'll stick to hoops. Um, unless there's another NBA player strike, in which case we will, have, we will discuss that because uh, you know, <laughs> basketball is more than a game. Um, yes. any, any final thoughts on this Olympic team or, or parting thoughts for the pod? I think it's probably a less talented team than a lot of the other teams talked about, but it just like fits to fits together better. So I can, yeah. I can see them like, I can see them like outperforming teams that may have maybe have more talented NBA players just because of like the pieces they have fit together better. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think they're definitely better than Germany. They're definitely better than team like Asia. Asia. Um, I think that it would probably be a pretty good matchup with the, uh, with the Soviet bloc one, which I think is a team that has more talent, like Porzingis, Sabonis, et cetera, but looks less like a normal NBA lineup. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I mean, every time we do one of these, I get more and more excited for the off season tournament that we're going to do. Uh, actually going to have you absolutely in the minds putting together these teams on 2k and running all the simulations. I know we will, we will, we will, we'll get to that point though. There's nothing else to do in the, in the winter this year. So yeah, we can enlist the help of your younger brother. Definitely. Definitely. All right. This was a, a pleasure. I'm looking forward to game seven. And then on Tuesday, we have um, game one of, of Heat Celtics. So chances are we'll probably drop the next pod Wednesday morning. Uh, yeah, pro- we'll, probably, we'll probably drop something on Wednesday. That's, that is a you know game seven, game one recap, and then some sort of Western Conference finals preview. All right. Um, I'm yeah. excited. So I guess we have, we have tomorrow off. No, no there's basketball no, there's, tomorrow. There's no NBA tomorrow. This is going to be no NBA on Wednesday, right? Cause like, yeah. So I, the Western conference finals probably going to start on Friday, I guess. I, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Who knows? Watch Monday nah, football. There's, maybe. There's, yeah. There's football tomorrow. All right. We're good. Yeah. All right. Thanks. She see ya. Adios. Ah!